When I was about eight or nine years old, I was gathered on Sunday morning in our usual Sunday school semicircle around my teacher. And in the midst of that morning's discussion, one of my classmates asked her, what is heaven actually like? And I have a very clear memory that all of a sudden, where my level of attention might have been not as high as it could have been, it suddenly shot up. I really want to know the answer to that question. The teacher paused, and she said, Well, heaven is where you never get tired, and you never get sick, and you never get fat. And at first I thought, that sounds great. But in the course of time, I really began to wonder, is that really what heaven is? You make it sound like it's the ultimate country club where everything is relaxing and fun and exciting and there's no more fear and no more anxiety and no more failure, no more disappointment, no more depression. But really, that's it? And it wasn't until I was received into the fullness of Catholic faith that I discovered the actual answer to that question. It wasn't until I began to experience the presence of Christ in the Eucharist and understood it as an unfailing sign of God's faithfulness, that he comes to us without withholding anything, body, blood, soul, divinity, whole and entire, to address everything about us that is still waiting to be prepared to be who we fully and authentically are. Not just comfortable or entertained or with full tummies. God created us to be saints. And when I discovered the true majesty of the Mass, when I discovered the sense of awe and wonder that seemed to overcome me every time I went to Mass, then my question became, Father, why didn't you just institute the church right up front? Why all the drama? Why all the suspense? Why leave us vulnerable to so much failure? Why didn't you just institute the seven sacraments right then and there in the Garden of Eden? And the answer to that question is rarely more clear in Scripture than it is in today's Gospel. The reason why God didn't institute the church right then and there in the Garden of Eden is because He knew we weren't ready. He knew that 
if he were to do that, that we, like Peter, James, and John up on that mountain, when we saw our risen and Eucharistic Lord, we would have fallen on our faces and too terrified and too ignorant and too weak to stand up and look him in the face. And so God sets out on a plan that was millennia in the unfolding. The covenant with Abraham. The giving of the law at Mount Sinai to Moses. The sending of the prophets to the people of Israel who because of their sin and disobedience had lost complete hope that God is still faithful to his promises and in the fullness of time in order that his plan for salvation might be completed in a definitive way, in a complete way, in a full way, sends his only son to take on human flesh and to go about the world proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God to finally, after all of these thousands of years, to institute the perfect means by which we are saved and to prepare his 12 apostles to go into the world so that every person of every place and every time from that point forward would have recourse to our risen and Eucharistic Lord. Fast forward to the 21st century. We're still baffled. Why is the church so divided? Why are we at war even with ourselves? Using all of these goofy labels that we invented on our own. Liberal versus conservative. Progressive versus traditional. None of which has anything to do with the grace that we have received in our, in our baptism and in the other sacraments. And I would suggest to you that the reason why any despair persists among us is because we have failed to look up into the shining face of our, of our risen and Eucharistic Lord. I didn't participate in the Real Presence, Real Future survey here at St. Francis. But I did participate in that survey in two separate parishes. And lots and lots and lots about real presence, real future was made about mass attendance and the number of priests and blah, 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 blah. Personally, my attention was drawn to the question, what are the five most important things that your parish accomplishes? And because I wanted to hear an honest and unvarnished answer. I let them tell me. So what do you guys think are the five most important things that we do here? And believe me, if I had let them go on, they could have come up with a lot more than five. 
Oh, well, it's, 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 it's our congregation. It's the people that are here. We're the most warm and welcoming community in the whole diocese. It's our school. It's our sports program. It, well, we gather together to make sandwiches for the hungry. I waited. I wait. Is that it? Is that all of them? Do you know how many people said the Mass? Zero. And that is why people look at our time with such great cynicism. This is why when our people contemplate our future are terrified because they have failed to look up. And so, the message now is a very simple one. Are you ready to take this time to make an honest inventory of your heart? How confident are you that God is who He says He is? How confident are you that you are who he says you are? Because if your answer to those questions is an unqualified and confident, yes, I do believe that God is who he says he is. Yes, I do believe that I am who he says I am, not my friends, not my family, not my spouse, I am who God says I am, then we cannot fail to look up into the face of our risen and Eucharistic Lord and spend our entire day expressing our gratitude and adoration because we have such a clear sign that God is not only who he says he is and we are not only who he says we are, but he is unfailingly faithful to his promises every single day. And if every baptized soul in the diocese were to arrive at that transformed state, we would recognize that our future as the people of God is not only something that we can look forward to, it is something that is worth everything that I have and am today to accomplish. And it is so easy, just like Peter, James, and John, when we do arrive at that moment of insight, at that moment of clarity, to say, well, I'm just going to stay here. Peter, James, and John, they see Jesus, they see Moses, they see Elijah, and they're saying, let's build some tents, and we're never going anywhere else. 
Or people come here with so clear in the presence of our Lord. Lord, I'm not going anywhere else. I used to pray every time I'd come out of confession, Lord, strike me dead right now before I mess it up again. But Jesus tells them, that's not your mission. While you are here on earth, you will go forward as a witness to tell others what you have found in me. And again, with an honest survey of our lives, who in our families... Who in our neighborhoods, who in our workplaces are still so clearly suffering from the anxiety and the depression and the, and the despair that someone who does not know Jesus can avoid suffering from? How many among us wake up every morning absolutely disbelieving that they have anything to look forward to? How many of them look upon the Catholic Church and say, there's nothing there for me? All of this is part of a great lie part of a great conspiracy. Not only to estrange souls from God, but to lead them to eternal destruction. Jesus looks at every baptized soul in the world and asks, do you not recognize that there are souls in the world that are waiting right now to hear the good news of salvation and that there are souls in the world who will not know the good news of salvation unless you get up and go. You might very well say, well, Father... I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it seems pretty simple, but I don't know what to do. Well, that is why we are creating the means, not only of experiencing the presence and action of our risen and Eucharistic Lord in our lives, we are also building the skill to create environments where people who do not know Jesus can come to know him. And if you are baptized and confirmed and you believe that God is who he says he is and you are who he says you are and you can read, you can be a witness to Christ in the lives of the people that you meet every day. And so, we say, Again, Lord, I am so thankful for everything that you have done.
for me. All the way back to the beginning of time. And Lord, I am thankful for everything that you will do for me, stretching all the way forward into the infinite future to that day when you return in glory to inaugurate your kingdom of peace. But most of all, Lord, I am grateful for what you are doing right here, right now, just for me.